I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Jill, last night, Chair Robinson kicked off the meeting by delivering a scripted apology to address her unscripted comments at last week's meeting about the district, its buildings, its costs, and its performance. I want to take a moment to address my comments at the last meeting on Wednesday, September 13th. She claimed her unscripted comments were used to promote a negative image of BPS. I won't say my words were taken out of context. I'm more experienced than that. But I will say that my words were used to help promote a negative narrative about the BPS. A narrative that is not in the best interest of children or productive to the youth of our city. It's a narrative that is divisive, destructive, and self-serving. And she took aim at those who expressed concern about her negative reflection on the district. I know I cannot stop all the negativity, but we must discern the difference between the legitimate concerns and criticism and the toxic grandstanding. This seemed to strike a chord with several attendees, including John Mudd, who presents at each meeting and who last night said this. I'm John Mudd, longtime education advocate in Boston, resident of Cambridge. And I'm going to give uh, some sobering interpretations of MCAS results tonight, and uh, at least my reading of them, and I hope they're not received as toxic grandstanding. And Salika Soto, who also has testified at several meetings and who very directly addressed the chair's comments. I was absolutely appalled and infuriated by Chair Robinson's comments and the superintendent's enthusiastic agreement at the most recent school committee meeting and just today. It was a strange paradox that the remarks lacked introspection and responsibility for BPS's lack of progress, while at the same time blaming the community for expecting too much. Ms. Soto went on to say this. Madam Chair, you yourself are responsible for the many policies that have been created and implemented in a way that continues to maintain the status quo and strengthen a system of inequality and injustice for communities of color. Parents, students, and communities of color have not been coming to this committee for the last 50 years asking for your charity or expecting too much. I mean, it's certainly time for leadership in our city, in our school system, and hopefully we'll see more of that from the school committee. Until the meeting then moved on to the superintendent's report. Superintendent Skipper gave a little bit of a preview of MCAS, and we won't get into we won't get into this now. But the superintendent did say that there'll be a, a more of a deeper dive on an MCAS report at the next meeting next week. So we'll wait uh, to report on MCAS. We did hear that buses are more on time than they have been in previous years, which is which is great news. We heard also, Jill, that there's 5,000 new students in Boston Public Schools which is, that's quite a few students yeah. new to the district. Yes. And what's a little bit, what was causing some questions that we have around this is if there's about 48,000 students in the district currently, that was kind of reported last night that we heard the number 50,000 at the last meeting, we heard 48,000 at this meeting. We yeah. won't really know that number truly until October. We are wondering if there's 5,000 new students, did we lose that many students? Is it net new? Like, is are, it not, are, we is at, it, are we at 48,000 and 5,000 more left and 5,000 replaced them or just what happened there? I, right, I mean, because that's a pretty big replacement number. If we yeah, have 5,000 new students in the district, we must have lost 5,000. So I think th these numbers all need to shake themselves out um, in, in October, but it'll be really interesting to see what the trends are in our district. Because October is when they actually 
document they do a final count and they document this is how many students are in the district this year and that's what they base projections off of for the budget for next exactly year. it's yeah. october one report they call it and so any student who has not reported yet to school they're off the books and then we sort of know who, who's our students on october 1st jill also just really important to note here that 1300 of these new students to the district are recent immigrants which right. has really important implications for our city and, and our school system about how we're serving those students and, and their families so, Jill, a lot of stuff coming up next week. We'll hear about the MCAS. We'll hear about enrollment. We'll hear about a number of other reports coming up at the next meeting. After the superintendent's report, there were several standard reports on new union agreements and on a charter amendment for Boston Green Academy, which will be voted on at the next meeting. And then the meeting moved on to an annual report from the Boston Special Education Parent Advisory Council, or SPEDPAC. This is a, a presentation we get every year around this time, and it's wonderful to hear from the families who are leading the Special Education Parent Advisory Committee. What we know is, Jill, is that we have about 22% of all the students in Boston Public Schools are students who have special needs. And, you know, that's around 12,000 students in our school system. And, Jill, what we heard really last night from the leadership of SPEDPAC is that students with disabilities don't come in one shape or size, but in fact have all different needs and different levels of complexity of need. And, you know, Jill, what I thought was really important last night was the conversation around inclusion and how the SPEDPAC is thinking about inclusion Mm. moving forward. And it's really important to note that they named the complexity of the inclusion model and they challenged the district and said, hey, you know, we see you have a plan for inclusion across a district. We agree that students should be in the least restrictive environment as possible. So being educated as close to their general education peers as possible. But you got to remember, you know, this is about the student, not about the adults. And many times when the district makes policy around special education, they think about where the adult, the teachers are going to be and what kind of programs are being offered. And I think what that what we heard last night in this presentation was the urging to the district to say, hey, why don't you create the flexibility that we need for adults to respond to our kids' needs rather than trying to fit our kid into a particular program. Well, I think they also were saying, you know, you have to listen to these families more because, like you said, every child is different. Every child has different needs. In some cases, inclusion is exactly the right thing, but that the families need to opt in to that. Right. At the, at the IEP meeting, so, you yeah. know, Jill, we're talking about 12,000 individualized education plan meetings. So yeah. every family has a meeting every year around their child's plan. And so, in fact, I think that's a really important point. You would have to convert every IEP to be more inclusive right. and you have to get the families to agree right. uh, to that. So it doesn't doesn't happen like just saying we're going to do inclusion now. It takes the buy-in from so many families. And so SPEDPAC was advocating that as you produce a master plan, which the district has promised by the end of this year, that you really have to be having conversations with those 12,000 families. That's a quarter of the district almost. Right. And, and so this is a heavy lift if if the district is doing it the way that families are advocating that they do it. And really, it seems like the way that they would be required to do it based on individual IEPs. We also heard from the leaders of the SPEDPAC that they want more transparency. They want families to understand what programs are potentially being offered for their child or where their child can go to school or what are the options for their child. And they say these are still really hard to understand for many families. So I think there's a lot of work to do here for BPS and serving students with disabilities. And I think what comes out of this presentation is the need for flexibility. And how do we have the flexibility at every school to respond to students' needs? 
After the SPEDPAC presentation, the meeting then went on to new business where members had a few new business items for the chair. First, Dr. Stephen Elkins said, let's have more of these types of discussions. He was referring to the discussion they had just had on the SPEDPAC report where it was it was more detailed and in-depth and there was a lot of conversation. And he talked about how he would like to see school committee meetings being reformatted in the direction and shape that that conversation had just taken. The chair mentioned that reformatting the school committee meetings was on the agenda for their retreat. The retreat is next Thursday. It will be on the sixth floor of the bowling building and it's only in person so they're not um, recording or broadcasting that meeting 6 p.m 6 p.m and member cadet hernandez also had a few new business items um, including a question around the timeline for the master facilities plan superintendent skipper responded by saying this i think in the spring there will be some things that we can work with the rubric to apply that are smaller decisions that i think with the community can be good proof of concept, right? And then certainly an acceleration using that rubric in the next two budget cycles. Member Cardet Hernandez continued with this comment. So I go through this rubric and it's engagement, but am I really being engaged if we know we have to close 12 schools? There is no way to keep the system at its current operating cost without some sort of reconfiguration. Yeah, and where does the plan for Madison Park and O'Brien and the O'Brien that was announced a few months ago fit into this discussion about the master plan? Are, are those done deals without using the rubric? So anything that happens from now on has to be assessed by the rubric, but if it's already been stated publicly, this is all not clear. This is not I, clear. But right. they've been talking about a master plan, the school committee has, and the need for a master plan for over a year. So, right. So, so it's it's interesting to try to dissect the cadence here. Jill, we, we, we heard last night a, a little bit, we had a few more details around what I, what we're trying to piece together around. What is it? What are we doing really with our master facilities plan? And, right. And um we heard months and months ago the superintendent say we are going to stop having soft landings in our schools we're going to fill our classrooms we're going to have to have a smaller footprint we're going to join schools and we're going to deal said that coming into the district totally as a new it. leader and she used esser funding which she, has a cliff to lay down a strategy for that she said we're going to move all of the half empty classrooms to yeah. esser right. funding and then once esser goes away which is the last year of funding for esser is this year, 24, we're going to have to deal with this. But there, we, I think we, we're seeing something a little different happening here, Jill. You know, I think that what we heard from the superintendent last night, she said, well, we're going to miss this budget cycle. We won't have the rubric. So we may see some small facilities tweaks maybe yeah. in the spring. Right. And then we may see some things happen over the coming years. So the urgency significantly decreased what I heard last night that in fact they are not trying to deal with this immediately these structural inefficiencies it sounds like they're going to maintain the soft landings in many of our schools going forward it's kind of interesting the superintendent talks about a two-year horizon maybe we'll do some things a couple of years out that does correlate with the mayoral election maybe there's some political implications here mm -hmm. and also Jill we heard in the news this morning that there's something called the Green New Deal proposal at the federal level. 
This is uh, coming out of Senator Markey's office, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh, Senator Booker's office and Senator Bauman's o- or Congressman Bauman's office. Right. And and they're they're basically saying let's put trillions of dollars into school systems around the country for a federal Green New Deal, which will help renovate green new schools across the school across the country. So same language. The same language that, that, that additional <laughs> funding. Right. Although our mayor proposed a Green New Deal for the city of Boston, unfunded, but proposed a Green New Deal, which has kind of been floating for a year right? while we work on a rubric that just got... That they're still working on. They're still working on. Yeah. And, and wow, maybe it is sort of linked to this federal ask for a whole bunch of money for schools to have Green New Deals Which may or may not country. ever come to fruition. This, this proposed Green New Deal, but certainly then if the federal government has is proposing a green new deal where there's a lot of federal funding then we can start to talk about aligning our green new deal with the federal green new deal which has not been approved it's just a concept but is ours then just a I, concept? I Jill I really hope I really hope this is not what's happening mm. I really hope well, that, that would be a real we, bummer we, for we, our students deserve now yeah. better facilities our students now deserve better resources and better schools I hope that's not what's happening. Right. So now going back to member Cardet Hernandez, he, he brought had a third uh, piece of new business. He brought up the exam school admission policy. He's done that in several meetings, and he reiterated a request made in previous meetings, as well as committing to advocating for changing the policy from giving schools 10 additional points to moving those 10 points to individuals. I am committed as a member to localizing those 10 points to income eligible families and not giving families or students 10 points for going to school with kids like me who are poor. Um, But I want to see the young folks who, regardless of what school they go to, who are economically disadvantaged receiving the points instead of looking at schools as either ghettoized or not and, and deserving of some, right? Like, I mean, because that's on some level what it inherently does. And the superintendent said that this will be discussed at the next meeting. So will more to come on this topic. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your students, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.